to the first episode of the Myron Shoals podcast on time. Chief investment strategist at Janice Henderson, professor of finance at the Stanford Graduate School of Business, and Nobel laureate in economic sciences, among many other accomplishments and responsibilities that would take too long to list, Myron shares his unique insights with us here. My name is Phil Myman. I have the pleasure of working with Myron here at Janice Henderson. These podcast episodes are aimed at sophisticated investors and those who wish to be sophisticated investors and are intended to be thought-provoking and perhaps even controversial. We hope you leave each episode with more questions than you started, and we invite you to send feedback or questions to Myron at askmyron at janicehenderson.com. Today's episode is Time Diversification. Thank you very much, Phil. Um, Yeah, today I want to talk about time diversification. Although many of us uh, have studied uh, and understand cross-sectional diversification, which is buying myriad securities and holding them in a portfolio in a weighted or unweighted way, time diversification is diversification across time. And it's seldom mentioned. Time diversification is seldom mentioned. Diversification across time, however, is as important or maybe even more important than cross-sectional diversification in affecting investment outcomes. Diversification is a fundamental investment principle. Diversify investments by holding many security in, in a portfolio to reduce random noise and to eliminate the effects of only holding a few stocks on the volatility or the risk of an investment portfolio. Especially so for investors who lack skills to select winners and avoid losers. When James Tobin, a famous Yale economist, was awarded the Nobel Prize for work on understanding risk, The press asked what he was proved to win the prize in economics. What did he prove? His reply was, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Fama, another Nobel Prize winner, has claimed that just buying 20 stocks or 20 securities will achieve a diversified portfolio and that holding a non-diversified portfolio produces inferior results. Burton Malkiel, in his famous book, A Random Walk Down Wall Street, has claimed that the only free lunch in finance is cross-sectional diversification. You diversify, you get rid of risks, you make your returns, that's free. They, as others, believe that it is difficult to pick securities consistently that will produce sufficient abnormal returns to overcome the costs of giving up the benefits of diversification. And as we will discuss, uncompensated excess volatility reduces the investor's compound return. So there's two dimensions of returns. Lack of diversification increases risk, and non-diversifying over time increases risk. Unless you have skills to overcome the lack of diversification, either cross-sectionally or over time, your returns will not be as good as diversifying fully. The theory in supporting empirical evidence has led to the growth of index funds and ETFs and factor investing. In the late 1960s, I was a major innovator and proponent of this line of thinking. 
And important to time diversification, the corollary belief that buy and hold strategies dominate alternatives such as time diversifying a portfolio. When I proposed passive investments way back in the 1960s, there was no signals, however, as to the risks of forward risks in the marketplace. We were left to make the assumption that the only alternative was to assume the world was normally distributed and risks were non-changing over time. We had no evidence to the contrary that we can substantiate the opposite belief. We believed that there was a good approximation to reality. Just assume the risks were constant and normally distributed. As Milton Friedman said, however, and he told us and informed us in his famous dictum, there is no such thing as a free lunch. Why, therefore, is cross-sectional diversification not a free lunch? Unfortunately, although it works most of the time, it fails badly at the times of shock when we most need it. When good or bad shocks occur, all assets tend to move together. The correlation among the returns on assets approach one. They're all moving together. For example, all equities domestically and internationally moved together during the COVID crisis in March of 2020, and again during the recent inflation shock and Russia-Ukraine war. It is at these times, the time of shocks, that the free lunch becomes awfully expensive. Diversification is lost. One does not have diversification. If everything's moving together, the only factor is the market volatility or the market volatility that individuals have to hold. Equity volatility increases, and because diversification is lost with high correlation among assets, the volatility of portfolios increased dramatically. Forecasting risk over time, however, to keep risk closer to target has a greater impact than does the extent of cross-sectional diversification and should command much more attention than it does. An example of time diversification that is bad and most equate the bad with market timing will help. Assume that a portfolio manager assumes that he has market timing skills and however, unfortunately, has no skills at all and he randomly times the market. That means he places, for example, 100% of his money in bonds 50% of the time and 100% of his money in stocks the remaining 50% of the time. Since the manager has no skills, and is a random timer, bang, bang, in and out of the market, into bonds, into stock, no skills at all, his expected return experience is exactly the same as the person who's steady Eddie and doesn't do anything other than hold 50% in stocks and 50% in bonds all the time. The return would be exactly the same. If I 50% of the time I make the stock return, 50% of the time I make the bond return versus 100% in stocks, 50% of the time I make the stock return, the remaining 50% in bonds gives you exactly the same expected return. So the timer who goes bang, bang, in and out of the market, essentially has to overcome the fact that the volatility will be much greater in that timing strategy. 
In fact, the mathematics and the results show that the volatility is actually 70% of the risk of the market because you have 100% of your risks in stock half the time, which are very volatile, and volatility is a squared term. And while the 50-50 strategy is only 50% of the risk all the time. So to time the market, is very expensive if you're a random or a bad timer of the market. The volatility increases. The example here rises even if the underlying volatility of the market investment is constant. The market risk is not changing. So timing has a bad reputation because it increases risk. Unless you're a good timer, it's uncompensated increases in risk. Are there any benefits, however, to time diversifying if the volatility of the market portfolio does change? And we'll talk more about this over our time in the podcast. The answer of yet is yes, if changes in future risk are measurable. Why so? If volatility is bad, increasing volatility is bad, if you incur excess volatility, that is bad, bad. And so we want to figure out ways to reduce the excess volatility and try to keep your volatility closer to target. The empirical evidence and the mathematics and the economics suggest if there are ways in measuring the future volatility of the market, the return experience can be enhanced for an investor that can do it by using this market information to control or manage the risk of the volatility over time. The compound return on a portfolio is different from the average return. The compound return is the growth of the portfolio, how it grows over time. And Investors want to maximize their compound return, the growth of their portfolio, their terminal wealth for the risks they take. Most investors are encouraged to consider average return. On average, how am I doing? But in life, averages are not your friend. You don't consume averages. You consume your end result, which is the compound return. And that's very important. Einstein said that the most powerful force in the universe is compound returns. I agree with him. Compound returns should be the major focus of all our activities, not only investing, but in life generally. As I said, we do not consume averages. We consume final outcomes or compound return results. Our compound returns have many more dimensions than do average returns. Risk affects compound returns. In the short run, risks are everything in life and risks are everything in the market. Risk dominate average returns. If I'm at the dinner table with my family, we don't talk much about average return. We talk about why did the market go up a lot today or why did the market go down a lot today? That's risk in the market. Volatility reduces compound returns. So this is sometimes called the drag in returns. The average return or expected return exceeds compound returns. So we have to think about how do we manage the drag? We'll talk about that more. And assuming excess volatility around the target risk level reduces compound return even more. We can accept the drag for a target risk level. However, why assume much more volatility? Experiencing a large loss reduces compound return. And the tails of the distribution, the bad outcomes, or the good outcomes, are the most important 
than the middle of the distribution, which is not that important. Middle of the distribution tends to be noisy. Reducing the bad tails and participating in the up tails enhances compound return. Great investors invest this way. Investors who are great ignore the risks of the middle of the distribution. Life is all noise in the middle. Everyone fusses about the middle of their life. But the most important thing and the things we remember are the great good things that occurred in life. Recovering from a bad outcome or a big loss might take myriad years or many years to overcome. Missing a big win also may take very great number of years to overcome. Although cross-sectional diversification, that is pick a value-weighted or equally-weighted group of stocks and give up the benefits of having superior skills and investment management, will achieve cross-sectional diversification. Time diversification, however, takes more skills and discipline. The amazing part of time diversification, however, is that it is free. Basically, reducing excess volatility reduces the drag on compound return. And that is true as well for cross-sectional diversification, reduces excess volatility that is not compensated as well. Thank you. Well, that was wonderful. Myron, could you combine two of those thoughts? One, cross-sectional diversification doesn't work in moments of stress. And the other is that the middles are the noise. Um, is it the case that cross-sectional diversification is just a function of the middles? That's the only place it exists. That's correct. Cross-sectional diversification gets rid of the random noise of security A and security B moving in opposite directions. So the more you diversify, the more you move to the middle or the systematic factor, the remaining factor of the risk of the portfolio. And the risk of the portfolio sometimes dominates and sometimes it's the idiosyncratic risk that dominates. When things are quiescent in the world, you know, then idiosyncratic things occur more frequently, the ups and downs. When things are moving together at times of good or bad shocks, then it's the market effects or the factor effects that tend to dominate everything. And the middle is completely washed away because the big macro fence, the COVID effect in March of 2020 dominated everything. All the securities tend to go down together, for example. And to do time diversification, you've alluded to using information from option prices, of course, but one could just use recent historical volatility, right, as a proxy. Correct. You, any investors who could use any signals or any information they have if they concentrate on forward information and signals. You can use, investors use historical data, such as using historical estimates of volatility. They could use historical estimates of association or correlation, how things are moving together to obtain what the recent noise, what the recent market is telling us. And if there's momentum or the market has a, a continuation of its past, then that would be a good forecaster of the future would have information and many investors use historical data to in various combinations to forecast future risks. 
and changing risks. So some ignore the changing risk, could use 40 years of historical data to obtain the risk. Some might use the most recent 60 days of data to estimate what the risk will be over the next 60 days or the next period of time. On the other hand, there are information in the markets that people can incorporate into their decision-making, such as that, as you mentioned, contained in risk markets, such as the option market, estimates of what crowdsourced information is suggesting through the prices of options. Makes sense. And whatever signals they're using, the actual process of doing time diversification is really easy, right? It's when the risk seems to be by whatever signals higher, you scale back and vice versa. Correct. That's correct. Like it's not a complicated thing to do. It's why do you think so few people do it if it's that mechanically easy at least? Well, as, as I said in the, my introduction to time diversification, it is the timing stigma that many people believe and have been educated and taught that timers do not do well. Those people who, in my extreme example of randomly going in a noisy way with no skills between bonds and um, equities, that timer, all the timer does is create excess volatility, which is uncompensated. Just the same way as the stock plunger dominates by holding a few stocks and has no skills will increase their volatility as well, reducing two things. One is taking extra risk. This extra risk is uncompensated. So therefore, one took more risk for no reward. And in our investment paradigm, we want to achieve the highest reward for any level of risk. Why not? That's the model. Or And so secondly, that it also reduces compound return. So the timing is a problem. And then another problem is knowing how much historical data to use. Should you use 60 days of historical data, three years of historical data, five years of historical data? And given that the world does change and that the risks we see today are not the same as the risks we saw five years ago, this conundrum or puzzle as to what amount of data to use has tended to force people away from the idea of trying to measure or incorporate time diversification into their strategies. There are many other reasons for concentrating on uh, cross-sectional diversification is because it is easier to find a numeraire or a benchmark. Many investors compare their advisors or managers to a benchmark. So that's the same as relative investing or the idea of investing in um, comparing yourself to a benchmark. It's the same thing as in our school issues. We have, do I want my child to get A's and be the best student in the class? Yes, I do. But at the same time, I absolutely want to know how well they're doing. John Keeler said in uh, Camp Lake Wabagon, everyone is above average in their performance. And basically the problem with that is that there's been a gravitation because of the science of measurement has improved over time to do relative comparisons or to grade managers or grade performance based relative to a benchmark. And it's been harder to gauge in a compound return space. My 
mantra or my belief is I want people to move away from relative to compounding, relative performances or averages relative to benchmark to compounding. The world needs compounding as a focus in our thinking. And so maybe we can move back or think of ways to measure the effects of time diversification on portfolio performance in addition to looking at our ability to say, should we diversify or should we concentrate by looking at the significance of relative performance? Wonderful. So in a sense, you're saying people who are not changing their weights over time, they think they're being so great, right? We're avoiding market timing, good for us. But in fact, even though their allocations aren't changing because the risk is, they're actually taking real market timing bets. That's correct. So... When I initially had thought of the concept of the index fund, you know, it was the case that I thought of the, as I said, the distribution of risks being best approximated by a normal distribution. In that case, the risks are not changing. You take the first step to develop a science, you make assumptions, and you move forward. So the index fund, ETFs, et cetera, which grew out of those and various forms of factor investing or constant portfolio investing is all based on the assumption that risks are constant or risks that are changing are not measurable or they're not measurable in a way to help in the time diversification aspects. I think that's false. I think we can have ways to measure how risks are changing. And I think that we can redirect our attention to the compound return experience or the growth of the portfolio and away from the relative comparisons. Just the same way in schooling or education, we don't want to always say, is the student doing well relative to their peers? But absolutely, how is the student doing? And can they compete in the world around us? Or they cannot compete because even though they're relatively better off, they're not really adding value to themselves and their human capital. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Myron. You're welcome. The views presented are as of the date published. They are for information purposes only and should not be used or construed as investment, legal or tax advice or as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any security, investment strategy or market sector. Nothing in this material shall be deemed to be a direct or indirect provision of investment management services specific to any client requirements. Opinions and examples are meant as an illustration of broader themes, are not an indication of trading intent, are subject to change and may not reflect the views of others in the organization. It is not intended to indicate or imply that any illustration or example mentioned is now or was ever held in any portfolio. No forecasts can be guaranteed and there is no guarantee that the information supplied is complete or timely, nor are there any warranties with regard to the results obtained from its use. Janus Henderson Investors is the source of data unless otherwise indicated, and has reasonable belief to rely on information and data sourced from third parties. Past performance does not predict future returns. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal and fluctuation of value. Not all products or services are available in all jurisdictions. This material or information contained in it may be restricted by law, may not be reproduced or referred to without express written permission or used in any jurisdiction or circumstance in which its use would be unlawful. Janice Henderson is not responsible for any unlawful distribution of this material to any third parties, in whole or in part. 
The contents of this material have not been approved or endorsed by any regulatory agency. Janus Henderson Investors is the name under which investment products and services are provided by the entities identified in the following jurisdictions. A. Europe by Janus Henderson Investors International Limited, registration number 3594615. Janus Henderson Investors UK Limited, registration number 906355. Janus Henderson Fund Management UK Limited, registration number 2678531. Henderson Equity Partners Limited, registration number 2606646. Each registered in England and Wales at 201 Bishopsgate, London EC2M3AE and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, and Henderson Management SA, registration number B22848 at 2 Rue de Bitburg, L1273, Luxembourg and regulated by the Commission de Surveillance du Secteur Financier. B. The US by SEC registered investment advisors that are subsidiaries of Janus Henderson Group PLC. C. Canada through Janus Henderson Investors US LLC only to institutional investors in certain jurisdictions. D. Singapore by Janus Henderson Investors, Singapore, Limited. Company registration number 1997007082N. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by Monetary Authority of Singapore. E. Hong Kong by Janus Henderson Investors Hong Kong Limited. This material has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. F. Taiwan ROC by Janus Henderson Investors Taiwan Limited, independently operated, Suite 45A1, Taipei 101 Tower, Number 7, Section 5, Sinyi Road, Taipei, 110. Telephone, 02810111001. Approved size license number 023, issued in 2018 by Financial Supervisory Commission. G. South Korea by Janus Henderson Investors, Singapore. Limited only to qualified professional investors as defined in the Financial Investment Services and Capital Market Act and its sub-regulations. H. Japan by Janus Henderson Investors, Japan, Limited, regulated by Financial Services Agency and registered as a financial instruments firm conducting investment management business, investment advisory and agency business and type 2 financial instruments business. I. Australia and New Zealand by Janus Henderson Investors, Australia, Limited, ABN 47, 124, 279, 518, and its related bodies corporate including Janus Henderson Investors, Australia, Institutional Funds Management Limited, ABN 16, 165, 119, 531, AFSL 4, 4, 4, 2, 6, 6, and Janus Henderson Investors, Australia, Funds Management Limited, ABN 43, 164, 177, 244, AFSL 4, 4, 4, 2, 6, 8. J. The Middle East by Janus Henderson Investors International Limited, regulated by the Dubai Financial Services Authority as a representative office. No transactions will be concluded in the Middle East and any inquiries should be made to Janus Henderson. We may record telephone calls for our mutual protection, to improve customer service and for regulatory record-keeping purposes. Outside of the US, for use only by institutional, professional, qualified and sophisticated investors, qualified distributors, wholesale investors and wholesale clients is defined by the applicable jurisdiction. Not for public viewing or distribution. Marketing communication. Equity securities are subject to risks including market risk. Returns will fluctuate in response to issuer, political and economic developments. Diversification neither assures a profit nor eliminates the risk of experiencing investment losses. Volatility measures risk using the dispersion of returns for a given investment. Correlation measures the degree to which two variables move in relation to each other. A value of 1.0 implies movement in parallel, negative 1.0 implies movement in opposite directions, and 0 implies no relationship. Idiosyncratic risks are factors that are specific to a particular company and have little or no correlation with market risk. J. 
Janice Henderson is a trademark of Janice Henderson Group PLC or one of its subsidiaries. Copyright Janice Henderson Group PLC. C062243897. 103024.